Okay. So in this text, uh, Proverbs 21, 22, a wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. In this text, it seems that the context of the verse is that of a city that is holding out against an attack. Since the focus is wisdom, and the scripture pictures wisdom as the quality and gift of God to those who are walking with him, we're going to view the situation as one as where the enemy is the one that is taking refuge in a walled city, and that city needs to be taken down in the name of the Lord. The key point that we're trying to get across this morning, and the scripture is trying to get across, is that wisdom is vital to take the city. We will modify that as we bring it into today by saying that wisdom is vital to taking back the sphere that God wants taken and the enemy has held captive. Now, there are several things that we can bring out immediately. One is the city needs to be taken. The context here is where one where God's people are on the offense. The word that I wanted to use is offensive, but I don't want to be offensive to you. <laughs> so when we talk about offensive, what we're talking about is being proactive rather than reactive. We're talking about going and initiating rather than reacting. The church is supposed to be, I read scripture this way, as, as God's people, we're supposed to play offense. Now, in the Old Testament, God told the Israelites that they were to possess the land that God had given them. And in Exodus 6 and 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. In Numbers 33 and 53, it says, And you shall take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given the land to you to possess it. Now, we have been given a similar, similar assignment, although on a broader scale, because Jesus commanded his disciples, and we're part of that as well, because if we're believers in the Lord, we are or should be his disciples. And I make a distinction between a convert and a disciple. A convert is one that has said a prayer. We're not saying you're not going to heaven, but a disciple is one that has gotten off the throne and let Jesus be on the throne of their lives. Amen? So anyway, Jesus commanded his disciples, and we're part of that as well, when he said in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, go therefore and make disciples, not converts, but disciples of all nations. What does that look like? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all, all what? That I've commanded you. And where do we find that? We find that in the Word of God very prevalent today for people to look at this as a book of suggestions instead of the Word of God. And they pick and choose what they're going to be uh, looking at, what they're going to be reading, what they're going to be observing, what they're going to be doing, and that's not how we're supposed to approach uh, the Lord and how we're supposed to approach His Word, and that's not what we're supposed to do as a church. As a church, we're supposed to teach the Word of God and the will of God, and it's become prevalent today for people to say, well, uh, you know, evolution, we've, we've, we're all evolving, and since we're evolving, the Word of God has not evolved, and so the principles of love, you know, what they considered to be love back then is not the same as today. Actually, Bible teaches differently. We're not evolving, we have devolved. <laughs> if you were going to use a word, we didn't go up, we actually fell from where we were. 
for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we've fallen away from God. And the Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, the, 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 the Word of God is forever settled in the heavens. It doesn't change. Culture changes, people change, mindsets change, but the Word of God does not change. And so we're not supposed to apologize for the Word of God. We're not supposed to water down the Word of God. We're not supposed to change the Word of God. We're supposed to proclaim the Word of God and not try to bring the Word of God down, but God's desire is to bring people up back to where they're supposed to be. Amen? So anyway, we're supposed to go and make disciples, teaching them, everyone in the world, to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The word go is not a reactive word. It is a proactive word. We have been given a mission, and that is to occupy the sphere we have been placed in. Listen, I will say it again, and I will continue to say it. Heaven is not our assignment. Heaven is our destination. This world is our assignment. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we make heaven our assignment, then all we're going to want to do is get people saved and huddle them in a church and keep them safe until Jesus comes back. Uh, uh, And if we can help that process along a little bit, it might even be better for them. No. That's not what we're supposed to do. Jesus... Jesus didn't say, hey, look, uh, um, I've, I've come and I've made disciples of these people in Matthew chapter 17, and now I just want you to keep them out of the world. No, he said, I've tried to keep the world out of them, but not to keep them out of the world. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world, and we're supposed to do the works that Jesus did. Right? The works that I do, greater works than these shall you do but somehow over the process of time we got into a defensive mentality and the Lord wants us to to again if we're going to go back to the word of God and teach and preach and 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 recognize what God's will for is for us the church needs to to recognize that we need to be on the offense all right in order to do so we have to go after the fortified gates and cities that presently belong to the enemy now how many of you know I'm not talking about physically breaking down gates and barriers and physically breaking down doors. I'm not talking about that. What we're talking about is spiritually. All right? Uh, The Bible says in Ephesians 6 and 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Actually, that's uh, 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, right? Uh, And then in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, rulers, spiritual wickedness in high places. So we're not talking about flesh and blood. What we're talking about is coming up against the power structures of the enemy. Right? Okay, we can't be apathetic. We can't live with the enemy in our midst. If you were to go back and read the Israelites when they went into the promised land, Uh, at first they began to take some of the cities but then tragically what began to happen is they began to live with the enemy around them and co-mingle with the enemy in their midst and they never accomplished what God wanted them to do now in case you're saying well wait a minute Canaan the promised land is a type of heaven then I'll beg to disagree with you because there are no enemies and there are no giants in heaven 
So the promised land is a type of the life that God wants us to live in this earth. It's what he wants us to do in the place that he places us as his church is to bring the kingdom of God to bear in such a way that society benefits from the rule and reign of God. That's what the kingdom of God means, the rule and reign of God. Now, God doesn't force anybody. He doesn't make anybody. But if we're willing to come into agreement with God and live by his rules and live by his directions and by what he teaches, what we will find is that we will become better people. Our families will become better. Society will be better. And we're not going to have any of this nonsense that's going in the world today. Why is all this happening in the world today? Because we've gotten away from God. And we started thinking that we were smarter than God was. And in our uh, uh, intellectual ways of thinking, we end up with a lot of principles that are ruining the country that we live in right now. But the answer is not to back away. The answer is to begin to live the way God wants us to live and not hide out, but be proactive and offensive in bringing the kingdom of God to bear in this land. Why is all this stuff happening is because the church has gotten out of the world and we said that's not where we're supposed to be. And is it any, uh, 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 is it any, uh, what's the word I'm using for, uh, yeah, is there any wonder to the fact that all of a sudden now we're seeing all these things taking place in society? When you remove the light, what begins to pervade? Darkness. Where does the light rest? In us. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill, right? I was thinking this. You don't light a lamp and put it under a bushel, you know? And I've, I was thinking about this the other day. You know, we think of lights, LCD, LED, incandescent, uh, halogen lights. We think of all these things when we think of lights. And so if you put a bushel on top of that kind of light, you know, you're basically putting a lampshade. But in biblical times, lights were always flames. It was always fire. You had to light a fire. You had to light a wick. And so if you put a bushel on top of that, what's it going to do to it? It's going to snuff it out. You don't put a light under a bushel, but you set it on a lampstand or you put it on a hill. Why? So that people can see the light. And so that's what God wants to do with us. And we need to get back to his original intent. And we need to be the light of the world. And in order to be the light of the world, we got to be on fire. All right, let me get back to what I'm talking about. Matthew 16, 18, the message says this, and I, I don't usually use the message, but sometimes it brings out a little bit of nuance that I, that I want to bring out. It says, now I'm going to tell you who you are, who you really are. You are Peter, a rock. And then he points to himself, I believe, this is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. See, we read that scripture and we think we're trying to keep the enemy out. Not realizing that the enemy, if we understand who we are and what God has given us and the power of his name and the power of the spirit of God, the enemy should be trying to keep us out. 
That's the context that we're looking at, all right? We, also, we must also remember that the battle we're facing is not a natural battle, but a spiritual one against spiritual foes. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes or the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our text places us before the city that is presently being held by the enemy and then lets us in on what is needed to be able to take that city and release the captives. What it reveals is that to do so, and one, as we've just looked at, we're supposed to take the city. But the other thing that it reveals to us is that to do so, we need to move in wisdom. Wisdom, this is my second point, is needed for the victory. Now, let me make myself clear. Uh, Jesus won the victory at the cross of Calvary. Right? That was, that was the day, that was the day that everything changed at the cross of Calvary. How, and so why then are we still having to fight? Because the enemy is still out there, but we're not trying to win a decisive victory. We're, we're in engagements pushing back the enemy that doesn't want to acknowledge and doesn't want us to know that he already lost. So we're, we're fighting for victory, but that's underneath the whole context that we are already victorious and we're trying to enforce the victory that Christ won for us at the cross of Calvary, all right? That's important for us to know. So wisdom is needed for the victory. In the book of Ephesians, Paul lets us in on a prayer that he offers to God regularly on behalf of the church. In the letter, he says in Ephesians 1, 16 through 23, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He's talking about the church. That the, Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, Jesus that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. I want to tell you something. You could preach a whole year on that text. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Does that remind you of the Ephesians 6 text? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, rulers. All, he, he is far above all rule, all authority, power, and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And here's what's awesome. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what you need to recognize is that we are the body. He is the head. Where is the enemy? If we're the body and he's underneath the feet in Christ, he's underneath our feet. But he didn't want you to know that. And, and if we do know that, 
He doesn't want us living that way. It says in Luke uh, uh, chapter 10, 19, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Why? Because he's under our feet. And nothing shall by any means harm you. See, Paul is praying an incredible prayer that reveals to us a great deal of information. Paul is asking that God would give the church wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God that they might know what Jesus has done and the position he has given his church, his body. For our purposes today, what we're going to concentrate on at the forefront of his prayer is that the church would be given wisdom. Wisdom reveals to us what to do to effectively accomplish the assignment that he has given to us as a church. Going back to our text, we see that we are to take the city and that with wisdom we can do it efficiently. To do so, we must first of all know what the stronghold of the city that we are presently in is. Now, it's different for every city. But there is a stronghold in a city that if we can identify what that stronghold is in following his leadership and his direction targeting that stronghold and if we can bring down the stronghold then the city will fall. But it's not going to fall to an enemy. It's already in the hands of an enemy. It's going to fall to the kingdom of God so that we can then see the kingdom of God become manifest in the people around us. Second, knowing what the stronghold is, we must go after it and pull it down with the weapons that God has given to us. Third, we must replace the stronghold of the enemy with the stronghold of God, which is the worship of God. And worship is much more than just singing songs. Worship is the way that we live. Everything that we do is worship, right? Because we can say something with our mouths and actually live for the devil. We can come to church and we can pray, we can shout, we can dance and go home and we can abuse our family, we can uh, live in adultery, we can cuss, we can get drunk, we can do drugs. Well, I want to tell you something, you're not living what you're professing. You've got to replace the stronghold of the enemy with the worship of God. You've got to realize that you are leaving the dominion of the enemy when you get saved you are renouncing that way of life but you are doing that not just to be free from Egypt but you're actually supposed to go into the promised land you are supposed to embrace his way of life see when you come out of Egypt you are cleaning and sweeping the house but you've got to fill the house with something Jesus said, he that who, who, who would come after me must deny himself. The con I read a commentary. I liked what they said. They must deny their right to self-rule. Take up their cross and follow after him. That's what a disciple is. 
someone who's willing to deny their place on the throne of their lives and give it to who it truly belongs to, the Lord, and their whole life. Now, obviously, we're growing. We're not perfect. We're consistently doing, uh, 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 growing in God, and we're striving towards perfection. But our life, our heart is 100% all in that I want to live for God. Not, I said a prayer, I'm going to heaven. It doesn't matter what I do once I leave the church. No. You are the church. It matters what you do every day, all day, seven days a week, because you are the house of God, and God lives within you. And He wants your light to shine, not just on Sunday morning. He wants your light to shine on Sunday night, Monday when you go to work, uh, uh, Monday nights uh, through Friday while you're at home with your family, whatever you do, when you go to play sports, when you go do what you want to do. He wants your light to shine. And so when people look at you, they don't just see you, but they see the light that's in you. We see this very situation played out in the book of Judges with a man named Gideon. In Judges 6, 14 through 16, the Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the, man, from the hand of Midian. Did not I send you? And he said to him, Who, me? It's not quite what he said, but he said, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? And he jumped down to verse 16. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one man. God tells Gideon to go. What's his assignment? To take back the land that the enemy has been keeping them captive in, which was supposed to be their land that God gave them. And God is like, I don't want that. I want my people to live and to live victoriously in the land that I gave them. But the enemy has been ravishing them. Why has the enemy been ravishing them? Because they've been serving idols. They've been living for themselves. They haven't been living for God. And when you don't live for God, it opens the door for the enemy to come in. And it's not God that torments. It's the enemy. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But God has come that you may have life and life more abundantly. So the Lord wants him to go in and do something about it. God tells Gideon to go, and then he would be with him, and then he gives him some instructions on how to do what he's called him to do. That night, he gives Gideon the wisdom he needed to fight the battle. And first of all, I want you to realize is that Gideon is not being defensive. He's being offensive. Even though he did it at night, he's being offensive. He's following the leadership of God. And he's actually going after the thing that is keeping them oppressed. And what does the Lord tell him to do? Judges 6, 25 through 26. That night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull. And by the way, that bull is an idol. It turns out that Gideon's father was a prominent family in the tribe. And the altar to a basically another God, the altar to a demonic stronghold was in his own backyard. And God says to them, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. 
that is located on your father's property and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So the first thing he was to do was to take down the altar in his own backyard. Remember our text? A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. The stronghold that they were trusting in, in this particular time, in this particular territory, in this particular city, was Baal. And God tells Gideon to take down that altar of Baal. So he goes, and he tore down the altar to Baal, and then, he didn't just leave that there, he put up an altar to God. And he reinstated the worship of God again among the people. So remember, I told you something. If you tear something down, you've got to put something in back in its place. And so if we're going to go against and we're going to tear down these structures of the enemy, we've got to fill the vacuum with the, the, the way, with, with the Lord and the worship of God and how we live for God, living in God's uh, 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 kingdom and, and worshiping God is, affects every dimension of our life. It affects how we do things. It affects how we do business. It affects how we do our school. It affects how we do life. It affects how we live our family life. It affects every area of our life. Now, this just kind of for us here. I was talking with some of our guys, and, 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 and whether this is the stronghold, I don't know. But I asked, what do you think one of the strongholds in our area is, this area where we live? And I believe it's the spirit of independence or spirit of pride. Our motto for Lake Jackson is the city of enchantment. Now, enchantment, I understand it can have different meanings, but for us in the church, I'm not the only one, enchantment suggests magic or witchcraft. What is witchcraft? It's seeking to gain power over the natural realm by accessing the spiritual realm outside of God's boundaries. In doing so, we're serving our agenda, doing things our way, which is exactly what an independent spirit propagates. And when we're talking about independent, I'm not talking about the kind of independence where you grow up and you learn how to live life on your own. I'm talking about independent from God. Independence is opposed to God's ways, and God's ways, what he teaches, are characterized by dependence and interdependence. Dependence on God and interdependence with one another. By the way, one very common thing, I don't know if it's anywhere else, but I know here I've heard it a lot. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Who made that statement? Who came up with that? Is it the Word of God? No, because the Word of God teaches, forsake not the assembling of yourselves. So what are we doing? Well, I'm creating my own way of worship. I'm going to worship God my own way, right? And so what is that? That's a spirit of independence. That's a spirit of pride, doing things the way I want to do it. 
in 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 23, it says, And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? We could say obeying the word of God. Sir, I don't know why, uh, and he may not know why, but God's doing a supernatural work in your life. He's going to rewire some stuff in your brain. He's going to rewire some stuff in your brain, and, and things are going to change. And I don't know if it's going to happen immediately or over time, but he's going to do something in your life. Now, I know a little bit about this, but I don't know a lot, but I just can't shake that. And so I want to go ahead and speak that out. I just believe God's going to do something, okay? So, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. So, we might say it this way. To obey is better than going to church and telling Jesus how much you love him and not do his word. And to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you. This is Samuel talking to Saul from being king. So what is the definition of rebellion? It is defined as an act of violent or open resistance to an established government or ruler, the action or process of resisting authority, control, or convention. In other words, I'm not doing it your way. I'm doing it my way. And in this particular instance, Frank Sinatra does not rule. <laughs> it's not my way, it's thy way. Right? Somebody said, it's not my way, it's Yahweh. And you might say, no way, and I said, Yahweh. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 says this, how you were fallen from heaven. It's given you... Uh, uh, a background, a little backdrop on how the enemy, uh, uh, the enemy of our souls came into manifestation, what he did. It says, how you were fallen from heaven, O day star, O son of the dawn. We're talking about Lucifer. We're talking about Satan here. How you were cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. For you said in your heart, I, I want you to notice how many times the word I will, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. It's not what you want, it's what I want. And you know what Paul said? Paul said, there's no longer I that live. Now, I know that the pronoun I is referring to Paul. But what if it's referring to something else? It is no longer I. There's no longer self that lives but Christ in me. And the life I live, I live by faith to the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for so to recap, in our sphere, this area given to us by God, the enemy has been ruling and reigning and in so doing, holding the people captive to his will and desire. Yeah. 
2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4 says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, it says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all, not some, not most, not just those that are here, his desire is that all would be delivered who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying everybody's going to be with Christ in the end and everybody's going to heaven. I'm saying he didn't die for some. He didn't die for an elect. He died for all. But not all will call upon the name of the Lord. Not all uh, uh, eyes will be open to see God for who he is but his desire is that all would believe right we the church have been given the assignment to free those in this area that has been allotted to us from the grip of the enemy we can do so because at the cross of Calvary Jesus won the victory over the enemy in Colossians 2 15 it says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by trying triumphing over them in him the context of this if you don't know this whenever a Roman general would take a city they would bring the rulers of the city in a parade into back to the city of Rome and they would be they would be brought back in chains look at these people that thought that they could resist the might of Rome. Now we are making a public spectacle of them. And that's what Jesus did to the enemy at the cross of Calvary. Right? In his name, remember, he is the head. We who call upon the name of the Lord are his body. The enemy has been put under our feet. In his name, we have been given power and authority to accomplish this mop-up task. To accomplish this mission, we must approach the assignment with wisdom. Wisdom recognizes the stronghold that gives the enemy strength in this area by pinpointing what it is so that in the power and authority of God, at his leading and in his timing, it can be brought down. In doing so, the strength of the enemy is abated, and thus the city can and will be set free. Listen, I'm tired of living a Christian life where we can't, we won't, we never. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says we can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, why is it we never heard that? Because I believe we've been sold a bill of goods. I'm not saying that we don't know Christ, and I'm not saying we haven't been preaching the gospel. I'm saying I believe we've been sold a bill of goods that we've bought into that we are defeated and we will never overcome and we will never live the life that Jesus wants us to live. The problem is in order to do that, we got to understand who Jesus is, who we are, and we got to have a spirit like David that says, I'm not going to allow that giant to keep us in torment anymore. I don't care what it costs me. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight.
We're not going to win, Miss Lucy. We've already won. We've already won. And listen, if I can't fight and experience it myself, I'm tired of believing that this world is useless and helpless and, and let's not do anything for it because it's going to burn up anyway. That's not what Jesus said. He said to pray this way, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, Occupy until I come. He didn't say hide and seek until I come. And so I've got to have the belief that things can change. The reason the younger generation doesn't want to serve Christ, one of the reasons is because they don't believe that they can make a difference. When I was young, I got saved because I believed that Jesus said that I could make a difference with my life. If we tell people just get saved and just wait until Jesus comes back, but don't expect to do anything in life, don't expect to make any difference, what young person wants to do that? But Jesus didn't teach that. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say you can't do it. He said, I've given you power and authority in Jesus' name. Do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the power from on high. And you, you, uh, uh, Again, Acts 1 and 8. And you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, we're going to face resistance. Of course we're going to face resistance. We're, you know, some of us you know, may not make it. Well, that's okay. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they thought they weren't going to make it, but at that particular time, God showed up. The issue is, are we willing to die so that the kingdom of God can flourish? Because the Bible says they overcame by the word of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb. That's why God's why I skipped my mind, because I said the wrong. By the blood of the Lamb. The word of their testimony, and I like the translation that says, because they did not love their lives, even to the point of death. Now listen, I'm 59 years old. I don't know how much longer I'm going to live. I'm believing God I'm going to live a few more generations, I mean a few more decades. But I'm not going to live life planning to retire. I'm going to live life like Caleb give me this mountain there are giants on that mountain no problem they're food for us so what if you can't ever uh, 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 enjoy the inheritance that comes from taking the mountain my children will I'm not living just for me I'm living for the next generation I'm not building just for today. I'm building for tomorrow. Well, what if Jesus comes back? I don't think I've lost anything. But if I don't do anything today and Jesus comes back, there's a good chance I'm going to lose a lot. Because he'll say, what have you done with what I gave you? So I'm living multi-generationally. I want to believe God that I can make a difference, that we can make a difference. That as we go out and we do actually what Jesus said for us to do, that we can begin to see a city transformed for God. Amen. Thank you, Daniel.
nice to have one person on my side. Hallelujah. <laughs> Actually, I think Jesus is on my side. More than that, I think I'm on his side. So the task before us is to come against and bring down this prideful, independent spirit and replace it with the worship yes. yeah. of the one true God. Yeah. And that's the third point, bringing down the stronghold. Proverbs 21, 22, as we already said, a wise person, man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, I mentioned this before, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. Not people, strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. We have been equipped with the power of God's word and the power of the spirit to use the phrasing from our text in Proverbs that our ultimate goal of delivering the city might be accomplished. A little trans literal translation of this verse is, for though we walk in the flesh, we no doubt fight as soldiers according to the flesh. To destroy strongholds is literally for the demolition of strongholds or fortresses to put an end to the strength of the enemy or to tear down the defenses that are difficult to destroy. The strongholds stand for the intellectual arguments, the reasonings erected by human beings against the gospel. For instance, we evolved instead of being created. I told you that story about the kid that was, went to dad. I said, dad, where did we come from? And he said, well, the Bible teaches that in the beginning God created man and woman and and from those men and women we all came. God, we were creations of God. And he goes and talks to his mom. He said, Mom, where did we come from? He said, well, it, you know, in school we were taught that there was a one-celled amoeba, and then it became apes, and we actually came from apes. And so he goes back into his dad. He said, Dad, I don't think you told me the truth. He said, no, son, she's talking about her side of the family. It is by the proclamation of the gospel that God has chosen to release his power by which these very arguments are destroyed and by which those who believe will be saved. The imagery is of a stronghold breached and those sheltering behind its walls taken captive. So the apostles' purpose is not only to demolish false arguments, but also to bring people's thoughts under the lordship of Christ. To obey Christ is literally unto the obedience of Christ. In this context, the idea is that people will come to obey Christ in the way that they reason and the way that they think and the way that they live. One final thought that we cannot forget is that in coming against the stronghold, and this is, this is very pinpointed to us, in coming against the stronghold of independence or pride, we must not succumb to the enemy's influence and fall under the sway of pride ourselves. We must deal with this stronghold in the opposite spirit. We must come against it with a spirit of humility. Now, humility does not mean you cannot be bold. Humility does not mean you cannot be courageous. I like what somebody said. Humility does not mean 
thinking less of your uh, yeah thinking less of yourself it means thinking of yourself less does that make sense all right first peter 5 5 through 7 likewise when you are younger be subject to the elders clothe yourself all of you with humility toward one another for god opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties or cares on him because he cares for you. Humility is the key to victory against the spirit of independence or pride. Humility towards God and humility towards one another. Cooperating with God, following his lead, doing things his way, is the means to deal with the spirit that we're fighting against. As we humble ourselves before the Lord, we are positioned to receive His grace. Now, I know a lot of people think that grace is receiving something you didn't deserve. It is that, but that's not all there is. Grace is actually the empowering presence of God. We are positioned as we humble ourselves before the Lord to receive His empowerment. And with His grace, we are thoroughly equipped to repulse, to move out the enemy from our land. Now, some of y'all may be overwhelmed with what I'm saying here this morning, but for those few of you that aren't, some of you are saying, I didn't know we could do that. The Bible teaches that we can. James 4, 7 through 10. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. As I've told you before, uh, this is a, an encapsulation of sometimes a long, drawn-out process. Sometimes, as you submit to, to God, you think you've submitted all, only to find out that you haven't submitted all, and you've got to submit some more, and you've got to submit some more, and you've got to submit some more. And sometimes when you come against the enemy, you think, man, I really dealt him a big blow there, and he's gone for good, only to find out that all you did was make him mad. And so you hit again, and he hits, and you hit, and he hit. But I'm telling you, as long as you keep going and don't quit and don't bow and continue to trust God, Scripture is true. Let God be true in every man a liar. He will flee. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and God will exalt you. Our text places before a city being held by the enemy. It then revealed that wisdom was needed to be able to occupy it and release its captives. In the same way, we are called to occupy our cities for God. And wisdom is key in doing so. It is wisdom to be proactive and take our cities for God. Listen, we just came through an election season. Whatever your take is on it, I'm not going to get into that right now, all I know is that I can tell you this, that in our country, it used to be a time where 90% or more of people said they were Christian. But in our country, 50-something percent of the people now say they're Christian. But most Christians don't want to do anything. They don't vote. They can't agree about anything. That's why you have one side and you have another side and never the two shall meet. That's why you have two separate doors. So one can go out that way and one can go out that way. And we don't have to shake each other's hands. 
Not here. It's other churches that are watching. Not here. Right? We can't agree on anything. But you know that, that, and I don't know what the statistics are today, but did you know that at one time the homosexual agenda or the LGBTQ or however many letters you want to throw in there had less than 3% of the population? I don't know about you, but 3%, a lot less than 50%. So why is it that the 3% seem to be influencing what happens and the 50% don't influence anything? Because we bought the lie that we can't make a difference. We bought the lie that God doesn't want us involved in the world. We bought the lie that as long as we just hold out till Jesus comes back, everything is going to be okay. Everything is not okay. What's going to make the difference when we begin to believe the truth? And we begin to mobilize the people of God. And as the people of God, we begin to think that, you know what, Jesus really does want us to make a difference. Jesus really does want us to occupy these cities for the Lord. Again, we're not talking about subjugating people. We're talking about coming against the enemy. And as you come against the enemy, that spiritual uh, hold that it has on people is broken. And then people have more freedom to begin to see the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we do our job and teach these people that see Jesus to come to Christ, but not just to get converted, but to live for him, then the kingdom of God begins to have more sway in our land. And as it has more sway. Instead of us fleeing from the darkness, the darkness is pushed back. Well, I thought Jesus was just going to do it for me. He's going to do it through you. We are called to occupy our cities for God, and wisdom is key in doing so. It is wisdom to be proactive and take our cities for God, and it is wisdom to deal with the strongholds in our midst in order to accomplish our task as His church. And let us never forget our task is to go in all the world and make disciples of all nations.